Welcome to The Whole Marketer, where we look at the holistic skills, the technical skills, soft skills, leadership skills, and personal understanding that marketers of today need to grow the brands and businesses of tomorrow. We're here to ensure that marketers feel supported and empowered to have successful and fulfilling careers and lives as a whole. Hello, and welcome to The Whole Marketer podcast. Today's podcast is an area of personal understanding. It's personal or self-identity. And shortly, we will welcome today's guest, the wonderful Bronwyn Foster Butler. But before we do, let me tell you more about why self-identity is so important, as is having a strong sense of self. Self-identity refers to an individual's perception and recognition of their own characteristics, their traits, their abilities, their beliefs and their values that define them and are unique to them. It involves an understanding of one's place in the world, their role in society. Our self-identity is also connected to how we perceive our place in many different environments, professionally, socially, culturally and much, much more. Our sense of self in these groups also allows us to develop a sense of belonging and is often connected to our self-esteem and overall well-being. A strong and positive self-identity is often considered essential for psychological health and a sense of fulfilment. Today's guest, Bronwyn, is a Canadian explant to the UK, having been here since 2003. A former snowboard bum, she started her proper job in advertising at JWT. From the agency world, she transitioned to client side at Burberry, where she got to be part of the team leading the brand transformation under Christopher Bailey and Angela Adrantz. From Burberry, she joined Canadian yoga wear brand Lululemon as part of the fledgling team in Europe as they expanded on these shores. After six years at Lululemon and two children, she joined Penanga during the pandemic, a material science fashion brand that exploded onto the scene during COVID. A few stops later, she landed at Finisterre as their chief marketing officer. Finisterre, a B Corp certified outdoor brand born from the surf, based down in Cornwall, and a personal favourite brand of mine. Bronwyn, welcome to the Whole Marketer podcast. Thank you so much for having me. So as always, we start with the big juicy question. And today's big juicy question is, what is having a sense of self to you? I mean, isn't that a question for life? I was thinking about this. And for me, it is feeling aligned in who I am with the impact I'm having. And by having a sense of self, it gives me power and clarity. I think that's the most succinct answer we've had to the big juicy question. Impact, aligned, it's life. I love that. All of that. So I know we've spoken offline about sense of self and how important you believe it is. Can you tell the listeners why it's so important to have that clarity? It's actually one of those big philosophical questions that as humans, we've kind of been discovering and digging into since we could hold a conscious thought. And I think especially in the 90s, the workplace culture that I grew up in, it wasn't one where a sense of self was considered important. And I certainly think the culture that my parents would have grown up in, in the workplace, having a sense of self would have actually probably been something that was considered bad or negative. And the beautiful thing with the evolution of workplace culture and wellness and awareness of mental health and all of these things is that it has brought to the forefront this idea of identity and self and things like shadow self and acknowledging that we are all complex 
none of us are perfect, but the best thing to do to get the most out of a team and get most out of an individual is to recognize our individual strengths as well as our individual weaknesses and then build teams that complement each other around that. And so being able to be aware of myself has allowed me to make better decisions for me. It's allowed me to be really vocal about what I'm good at and what I'm not. It's allowed me to build a team around me that complements my weaknesses and that allows me and my strengths to thrive. And I think ultimately it's been about being a lot more content and getting joy from my work. And it takes time, right? It takes time to have that self-discovery so that you have that clarity about the things that you're good at, the things that you're not, the things that you're passionate about. Was there any pivotal moment for you where you felt like, yes, I really have the clarity I need now about what it is that I bring to the world? It takes time, but also the work's never done. (laughs) Ain't that the truth? (laughs) We're all works in progress, as I say. Exactly. I mean, huge moments. I think just even like there was that moment of like my first real job, you know, my first professional job and this idea of what version of me do I want to bring to an office and what does she wear and, you know, what does she sound like in meetings? And it's even that thing of like, what's her phone voice, (laughs) you know? So there was that kind of my first professional self and developing that and then honing it as I got feedback and as I learned things about myself, but also about conduct in the workplace, et cetera. And then there's pivotal moment. I mean, certainly for myself, job change has always been a pivotal moment. I went from Adland, which was all about creativity and excitement and sexiness and like who could drink the hardest and stay out the latest and still show up the next day. And so that created like a slightly different version of myself in order to thrive in that environment. And then I went to luxury fashion and that was a slightly different tuning in to what self was I going to bring in this environment and what does that look like? And then, so every time I've had a job change, I think there has been an opportunity to reflect on, well, who am I going to be in this role? Who, what version of myself is going to thrive here? And then certainly becoming a parent has probably been for me, one of the biggest shifts and one of the biggest challenges. I think it just brought to the forefront some of my personal core values, also some like work I had to do about my childhood. That one's less so for the workplace and more so just with my therapist. But becoming a parent and then becoming a working parent have been so far in my career, probably the two biggest moments of digging into self. And the theme as I'm listening is almost the assessment that you make on each of those environments that you're putting yourself in or in the roles in the case of motherhood that you're putting yourself in and how Bronwyn flexes at each of those situations. I suppose as I was listening, I was thinking, how much of it is authentically you and how much of it are you almost flexing bits of you to create more of a sense of belonging or to be part of those cultures? Have you ever felt like a tension point between those two things? Oh, absolutely. I think a lot about my fixed identity and my flexible identity or my fixed values and my flexible values. And so I've done a lot of work on figuring out my fixed sense of self. And I think the easiest way to do that work has been for me uncovering like where is there conflict in my life or where does something feel hard or unsettled? And then exploring like 
what part of me is being confronted? What's being challenged here? Because through that conflict has been the kind of filter to discover which of my personal values is being threatened or am I out of integrity with, et cetera. And then the flexible self is that one a bit more like I was talking about as you shift jobs, that kind of code switching of what different parts of myself that are still there are still important, but I can dial up and dial down based on either the role that I'm in or the brand that I'm at. And certainly I have that flexible identity every day in my life, whether I'm talking to the head teacher at my children's school, in which case I adopt the air of curiosity and support, but also, you know, asking pressing questions to then code switching to talking to a 22-year-old on my team, to then talking to my board. So, so that kind of flexibility is there. And the work that I think is required in order to really feel as though you've got a sense of self is what are the parts of your identity that are fixed? What are those core values that are fixed that don't change? And how do you make sure that in all these scenarios, when you're moving throughout your career or you're changing jobs or you're talking to different people, how do you not lose that true sense of self whilst allowing you to adapt to the situation that you're in or that I've been in? And I've not heard that terminology before, fixed and flexible parts of your identity or your values. I think it's actually really powerful, almost like it gives you permission in certain situations to think about what your strengths are in line with those and then dial those up or maybe in certain situations ones that you need to dial down but maybe need to address outside of work or in different situations to still feel that you are as you say aligned to your values or doing things that play to your values and don't jar with them and I always say one of the most powerful things about knowing your values is that it allows you to be more reflective in -hmm. certain situations so instead of taking a situation personally although every situation is personal, isn't it? But, you know, taking a situation personally, be able to reflect back and think, okay, so what one of my values is this jarring with between this individual or in this situation? And often I think that that gives you some subjectivity that you wouldn't naturally have if you didn't have that level of understanding. Absolutely. And I think it goes both ways, especially in in teams or in partnerships. I mean, At work, one of the things I was lucky enough to learn reasonably early on was if I've got a conflict with someone at work, it usually has very little to do with the actual work and more to do that we've got conflicting values. Mm. And I think one of the things I try to bring to my team and by myself I'm using every day is like if something feels hard or something feels sticky, which of my values is being questioned or I don't have integrity around, but also like, am I being curious about what the other person's values are? I think of a great example on my team where there was a relationship that just wasn't working and I brought the two together. And the question I asked was, what do you need when the work gets hard? We were talking about a situation where, you know, you're on shoots, the hours are really, really long, you're together, you can't avoid each other. It's not like you're going home at the end of the night. We're all staying in shared accommodation and the shoot days are 14, 15 hours long. So I was like, each of you have permission to have moments where you're not your best self. And when you're in that moment, what do you need? And the one person shared that he was like, I really need someone to come up to me and check if I'm okay. Acknowledge that they see me not feeling great and then offer support. And then the other person was like, 
I need the exact opposite. I need to be left alone. I need time to recenter. And I will come back when I'm ready to re-engage. And it was like this huge light bulb went off where they realized that all of the conflict was coming because when the one person was feeling out of sorts, he was desperate for the other person to come and ask. But she didn't do that because that wasn't the thing she would need. And then vice versa, when she was feeling exhausted or annoyed, she had this person pestering her, desperately trying to make her feel better again. And it was creating this combustible moment. And so it's that idea of like the more work we do to discover ourselves is important, but equally, the more work we do and curiosity we have towards our team and the people we're working with and what motivates them, what their values are, how they recenter themselves in times of conflict the more we will be able to thrive in the workplace and dare I say it, even at home. (laughs) Definitely. And I really like that focus there on what do you need? And I was working with a team recently who are going through a period of change. There's a new leader about to come in and they were feeling a lot of tension, a lot of stress. And we all discussed about what do you need during this time to have the energy to get through this change? And it was completely different for each and every one of them. But also by sharing and identifying those needs, they then became accountability buddies for each other. Yeah. So, you know, one person needing to have time to do exercise, one person needing space between meetings, like is what do you need? And I don't think we spend enough time focusing on what we need in times of stress, but also what we need to fill up our cup. We think about it after the event has happened or the stress or the combustion, as you said, has happened. Yeah. And we use it also as fuel for blame. It's like, oh, this person you know, should have known that about me. <laughs> And they didn't. And it's like, yeah, but did you tell them? No, because they should have known that. And you're like, wow, the expectations we have of one another being able to read each other's minds when we're terrible at even knowing our own selves, let alone. True. Yeah, we're all yeah. works in progress. So yeah, you know, exactly. even if you feel that you have a good sense of self, you know what your strengths are, you know what you bring to the world, you know what you're like to be around on a good day and on a not such a great day, what your values are, what your purpose are, you know, we're all works in progress. So imagine not having that understanding, but also not sharing that either. I mean, missed opportunity for sure. Totally. So we've spoke offline around the times when you felt your own personal identity has shifted through changes in work or from returning from mat leave or in roles. Can you share with us what impact those changes have had on your personal identity on you, both as an individual, the workplace, as a leader? Yeah, for sure. One of the biggest was just becoming a parent. I have a real core value around independence, (laughs) I've discovered. And so that comes at odds when you have an infant attached to you. (laughs) Certainly it did for me. And I really struggled with this idea of having somebody entirely dependent on me. I struggled with the idea of not being able to just go and do what I needed in that moment. I had to like do work on that fixed value around independence and figure out how can I still have that, but also be a great parent. And it was on my first mat leave that I realized I actually needed to go back to work earlier because that would scratch this itch of independence. And I knew going back earlier would make me a better mom. And so I did. I called my job and I said, I'm coming back. I know we've got a mat leave covering for 12 months, but I'm not going to last 12 months. So I need to come back. And it was incredible actually how quickly the shift was in my happiness, but also my then ability to be really present with my son, because I didn't spend the whole day desperately searching for moments of me time. Instead, I like filled that cup 
I got that. And then when I came home, I just got to be with him. And that was probably one of the biggest moments in my life where I realized like, okay, I have to have integrity around my core values. Otherwise, I'm not going to do this whole living thing well. And I'm definitely not going to be a great parent. And then when I came back to the workforce, it certainly allowed me to thrive in terms of having independence. There was then also this reworking of how am I an overachiever when I have to leave to do pickup? This is where I think of like flexibility. But I was learning, I had like learned behavior around what I kind of had identified as myself was that I was an overachiever and I was a perfectionist. And that came at odds with having to leave in order to do school pickup. Because for me, overachieving had been shown up as like being available at all times, working crazy hours, working over weekends. And I suddenly wasn't able to do that. And so I'm still an overachiever and I'm trying to unlearn my perfectionism. But I've had to figure out a different way of expressing it where I still feel as though I have integrity around that and having those high standards for myself, but they're not expressed through the same things that they used to be. So I don't work crazy long hours. Instead, it's like, okay, well, how can I work really flexibly? How can I use the 24 hours in the day to get everything that I need to get done? How can I also be really clear about my boundaries and when I'll have something done and ask really good questions? clarifying questions when I'm being given a project where before I just would have been given a project and run with it and gone, I'm going to answer this perfectly and put in probably totally inefficient hours of working through trying to guess what my boss wanted from me. Instead, now I'll say, okay, exactly what are your expectations of this? And when do you want this by? And what does success look like for you? So that I can go away and be really efficient with my overachieving while still having the time to finish at half five, run home, grab the kids, make dinner, get them to bed and not lose my sense of self on the way. That's great learnings as well. I think there's probably more learnings to be had if you've not done so already around where does that need for independence come from? You know, where does that be perfect driver come from? But also acknowledging that it's not sustainable to have those things in the life that you want and have created. So how do I still get those needs met elsewhere? Or how do I need to modify my behavior so that they don't burn me out? Exactly. Yeah. And how has this understanding helped you as a leader? When I came back from my first mat leave, again, it was sort of like the best of times and the worst of times. It was great because I had my independence back. I felt like I was using my brain. I had a sense of freedom. And I had found being away and having somebody else in my job really, really hard. Even to your earlier point of this need for perfectionism, I'd gotten to like this complete swirl of comparison. And it ended up that I came back, I mentioned earlier, you know, we had my mat leave cover for 12 months, I came back at seven and a half. So I had overlap. And it was great, we divvied up projects. And I came back gradually three to four days a week. But Instead of me coming back and acknowledging that I was in a transition time and figuring out what this new way of working was, I instead just got into comparison of like, well, what if they think she's better than me? And how do I make sure that they are grateful that I'm back? We had had a leadership change whilst I was out and I didn't know the new leader. And that was really uncomfortable to me because I was like, hang on, he doesn't know how great I am. He doesn't know how many hours I work and how hard I work. And suddenly I was unequipped to do that because I couldn't. I simply didn't have where my mat leave cover did. She didn't have any children. She wasn't a caregiver and it didn't end well. I swirled and I swirled and 
I'd be in meetings listening to people talk, in particular my mat leave cover, and I'd jump at the opportunity to make her wrong. If I didn't feel like I was being supported by the team, my direct reports, I'd be snappy and I'd set them up for failure because I was like, well, that'll make me look good if I can come in and fix this. Or, you know, I'd get that little hit of adrenaline by making them wrong or making them feel little. There was a real moment where ironically, I was leading some leadership development and I was talking through the practice. I was talking through the theory and like my whole body went completely hot and my heart started racing and I felt like I had tunnel vision. And it was like my body was telling me just how little integrity I had to be leading that session. And I was hearing these words come out of my mouth and I did not identify with them anymore. And I just felt like a complete and total fraud. I remember finishing the session, the perfectionist in me powered through and then going into the toilets and having a complete sort of breakdown and recognizing it's so often the that stereotype of these moments happen. And suddenly there is this moment of clarity of I have always prided myself being a leader and I've always prided myself on having high standards and I have allowed my weak sense of self to get in the way of being a great leader. And in that moment, I realized I had to go back and figure out who I am and who I was going to be in this new chapter of my life in order to then go and be a great leader. It's such a powerful story around the disconnect between the leadership style that you were trying to create in your organization and then the reflection that you had within yourself about, am I actually showing up like that? And I think as I was sitting listening, what became really clear to me is that there is a need for you to have your efforts recognized, you know, to have that external validation, that recognition, to feel that sense of belonging, that sense of safety in your role that you weren't getting. And knowing our strengths does help with that. You know, it does help prevent the comparisonitis or at least gives us some tools when we are comparing ourselves with others to think, well, that's not my strength, but this is my strength. And this is what I need to own instead. But it's still very powerful to have such a visceral reaction and to stay curious in that space as to why am I having this visceral reaction? And Mm. it's, you know, in your case, you weren't showing up how you wanted to be showing up. You weren't showing up in a way that was the true you authentic self. All of your triggers, probably in a time of vulnerability, to be fair, you know, returning to work Mm. was at play and the behaviors that you were bringing to the table because of how you were feeling. You know, as I often say, it's like if someone is in that case behaving in a certain way, it's like what is going on for them? Because no Mm. one comes to work and shows up like that without something going on. And in this case, there was a lot going on for you. Yeah, a thousand percent. And that has taught me, to your point, as soon as I see somebody acting a bit out of integrity with their normal self, the old leadership style and certainly the leadership style I grew up with was like, okay, how do I make this person know that they're wrong and know that that behavior is unacceptable? And instead it's pivoted to how can I be really generous with this person? Cause it's clear they need some support. So it's going up and asking them, is there anything I can do for you right now? And also adapting to how they want to receive that help. And so getting to know my team in particular to the anecdote at the beginning, one person, if they're like that, they may actually just need to be left alone. The other person might need me to go and offer them space, make them a cup of tea, give them feedback, et cetera. So 
by learning who my team are and by them developing that self-awareness to be able to articulate who they are and what they need. It also means that in those moments of wobbling, in those moments where we don't show up as well, we're all better equipped to support one another with the best possible tools. Definitely. But we also need to create space and equip people with the tools to have that level of understanding of self. And I don't think we as leaders or not even just leaders, people in the workplace spend enough time building that understanding to the people in our care so that we can help them better, but they can also help themselves. I find it fascinating that we're still on a journey of spending time, energy, focus, investment on allowing people to build that level of self-awareness so that they can be, yes, more productive, but more fulfilled and more happy. Oh, a thousand percent. I mean, I've worked in retail for nearly 20 years. I've spent a lot of Mondays in trade meetings. And the thing that constantly blows my mind is the number one thing we can do to affect trade is make sure our people are happy. Mm -hmm. And that comes from creating and curating a culture of development because people need to know that they are learning. They need to know the goal that they're working towards. They need to know that they're supported, that it's a safe space to falter and to fail. And they need to know why their development today is going to help them create an amazing life in a decade from now. It's not just about, okay, am I going to get a good performance evaluation in the next year? Like it's what stretch opportunities or development opportunities are there for me right now that's going to help me be and have this version of my life that I can see for myself in the next decade. And moments and opportunities where I've had to be able to bring that development to a team. The impact I've seen on the real tangible business results are incredibly obvious to me, at least, but also incredibly tangible. It's like, okay, if people have clear goals, I mean, we use OKRs, if they're clear what their objectives are, and they're clear what success looks like, and they're also clear on what support they need in order to get there, whether that's a hard skill development or soft skill development, I just see the level of output and the level of energy and passion and that level of execution, like the actual just output in the quality of it increases so greatly versus cultures I've been in where everything stagnates and somebody can only live within their job description and mustn't ever be thinking about what their next role is. And cultures like that are just, I think, a relic of the past. (laughs) Yeah, I was almost had like toxic in for Britney Spears coming into my mind as you were, were talking about that for sure. And having OKRs is a really great place to be. You know, I always think about what's the most important thing to provide motivation to a team. The first is clarity. So clarity on where we're heading, clarity on the vision, the goals, what we're trying to achieve, and then therefore what that means for that individual. But as you've just said, the support and development to help them achieve that. And it's not always a technical training. You know, it could be practical experience, but it could also be, as you said, you know, personal development, you know, how are you going to embrace stakeholders or how are you going to communicate better or how are you going to galvanize support? And I don't think enough of energy is put into that as it should be. And I often find that when I'm called into teams to do that work, you know, to build better understanding across leadership teams or a marketing team or their needs, it's often because there's a leader who's done the work. Mm. So a leader who does have their own personal understanding or they've had a point in their life where they've had to reflect or they've gone away and had coaching or something of that nature and they've had a profound change in their own life. It sounds like you very much fall into that remit of someone who really has done the work and understanding themselves and therefore bring that into their team. It's almost like they have to have gone through that journey themselves before they understand the benefit it brings in the workplace. Oh, yeah, absolutely. 
I just feel so grateful that, I mean, I spent six years at an organization that said that we were a people development company that just happened to make stretch pants. And that was because the founder had founded the brand after doing some really deep personal work. And he was like, hang on, I'm going to build a company that yes, makes some incredible product. But the foundation of that is that everybody is going to be doing deep personal development work. And right from the get go, they were investing in courses. And I think Brian Tracy even showed up when there was like 30 of them in the first HQ. And Brian Tracy, he's the, for anyone who might not know, he's the kind of godfather of goal setting. And that brand grew. And yes, it it grew for a lot of reasons, but it could have easily been taken down by one of the giants. And I think its secret sauce was that it was a people development company that just happened to make stretch pants. It wasn't a stretch pant brand. I've never heard that before. And I absolutely love that. It's like really focusing on the fact that the thing that sets us apart isn't something that you'd stick in your normal brand point of difference. You know, it's the people within and the development and the understanding and motivation actually, which which leads me to my next question, which is, what have you found from developing this understanding of self from the individuals in your team has had on motivation in the workplace? I mean, it goes in swings and roundabouts. When I've built teams or inherited teams that haven't had a culture of development, usually just the first impact is one of relief. I'm like, oh, wow, I don't have to figure this out on my own anymore. You're going to help me. Then there's often sometimes a bit of discomfort (laughs) when they realize that personal development in the workplace often goes hand in hand with personal development full stop. Mm. So what are those things that happen in our personal lives that come over into our professional lives that we actually need to address? And then it's about constantly reiterating, how does this connect to the business objectives? You can see to your point around clarity, once they connect like, oh, this work around enrollment or this work around uh, receiving feedback or giving feedback, you know, whatever they're being told, they've got some work to do or the work that they're in. I can see now how that is going to allow me to lead meetings better, which means I'm going to have more buy-in from my channel partners, which means with that greater clarity comes permission to ask for more budget or permission to ask for more resource. And I can see that once they make this connection, this red thread goes all the way along. It is like this light goes off. And it's also like it's a self-determined reality too. I think that's especially with Gen Z, this idea of like, they want to be in control of their career. They want to have more agency over themselves. And I was like, okay, well, the best way to do that is to own your development. So know what it is that the work that you need to do, know how you're going to get there. And then don't just sit back and be entitled and let it happen to you. Mm. Like you have to go out and do the work. You've got to go out and do that. But hey, look at what the results are going to be. And once they start tasting those results and seeing those results, it then just becomes this beautiful flywheel of like, they just go with it. By that point, I'm just creating the conditions for that development to continue to happen. But I, but I'm certainly no longer doing the heavy lifting in, in terms of the programming, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. And I suppose on that journey, there's a period of time where you've put that energy and work in to help them get that clarity and that level of self-awareness. And then after that, and they're taking ownership, it becomes easier, right? As a as a leader. Oh, absolutely. And it means I become a better leader because by creating a culture of development, it gives permission for my team to 
help me develop. I say to them all the time, I'm like, you know, this goes both ways. You are here to develop me just as much as I am here to develop you. But if there isn't a culture of development, my own leadership or my own development is going to stagnate as well. And I don't want that. I don't want to stop learning. My perfection is quality. I want to be the best. I want to be better than I was yesterday. And that requires my team giving me feedback and telling me what did I do that made their lives a whole bunch easier? And what am I doing that is making their lives a whole lot harder? And by creating that culture, that feedback just comes and it's beautiful and it feels vibrant and supportive. And like, we all have each other's back and we all believe in one another. And I've been lucky enough to be at some brands that have grown pretty quickly. And I absolutely bring it back to that team culture of we're all here to develop and we all have each other's backs. And we all recognize that we're works in progress, but that's okay. I love that. And that's really creating a learning culture, a development culture, and also psychological safety is really important when developing a culture to being able to receive that feedback or be able to give feedback in a way that you're not fearful of the repercussions because the power of feedback is it does allow us to grow and to reflect and it's never in the learn it's in the reflection on the learning as I always say. Absolutely and I think one of the key parts of that too is that if we have an open culture around development we have this human propensity towards expecting everybody else to be perfect except for ourselves. And if someone messes up, never forgiving them. And I call it sticky feedback. Is this feedback about this? You know, if I hear feedback about somebody on my team, my first question is always like, well, hang on, is this feedback I've heard before? Have I given feedback to that person in the meantime, in which case, case closed, that was done? Or is the behavior perpetuating, in which case more work is needed? And nine times out of 10, if somebody has a rough patch, that becomes a story about them and that feedback sticks to them. And in cultures which are toxic and cultures which aren't growing, we stick feedback on people and we never let them move on. But by having a culture of development where it's like, okay, somebody can mess up and then they receive feedback and they grow. It's this wonderful antidote to bitchiness and gossip and negativity and complaint that I have seen and experienced in teams where we don't all acknowledge that everybody is growing and everybody is developing and everybody's going to mess up. So let's forgive them and move on. The most toxic environments I've ever been in have been those ones where it's like someone fails once and they're never forgiven. That's really important and that they don't get labeled as the person that's not good at. It's no, it's like not good at that yet. And what are we doing to help them? together yeah or not good at that once but look at them since then yeah really put the work in to figure that out (laughs) yeah and it's also you know as you're describing almost finding the things that they have the proof points of the things that they've done to improve and delivered since that feedback and making sure that that is promoted and shared because I don't think that often happens that's a really interesting point and on that point of reflection we've got to the point in the podcast Bronwyn where I'm going to ask you I'd love to hear your career highs and lows Okay. Career highs. After that breakdown in the toilet, I went on a pretty big journey of self-reflection and like what was going on for me. And I was lucky enough to be given an opportunity six months later to speak at a leadership conference within the brand I was working at to talk about it. And what was interesting was that guys curating the experience, they didn't even really know what I was going to talk about, but I'd kind of put my hand up saying, oh, you know, I can probably talk about, it was called leading self. I'm like, I could probably talk about leading self. 
So I sent in a little video and straight away they got back to me being like, yes, you can do this. You can stand up and tell this story. And so I had to do a lot of preparation because these conferences were a big deal. And I flew halfway around the world to do it. And I stood there and got up in front of 1200 people. And I told them the story that I just told you of being in comparison and realizing I was a fraud and then going and doing the work to know that I was enough and that it was only when I knew I was enough as an individual that I could be great as a leader. And I stood on that stage and it was like a pinnacle moment also just because standing on stage and delivering this and trying to remember it all was exhausting and exhilarating. But then the feedback I got from other individuals afterwards, it made me realize that this was not a unique experience to me, that I wasn't alone, that there was power and vulnerability, and that I wasn't going to let this one failure shape the rest of my career. I could bounce from here. So that was definitely a, a, a career high because it was a personal development high. I think I have career highs every day in my current work. I just, I love the team and I love developing people. And an early mentor of mine said the leader's role is to create the conditions for the team to thrive. And every single day I wake up just going like, what do the team need to thrive today? How can I be in service to them? And I've realized that that is certainly something that fills my cup. That is work that I get a lot of joy from. So I feel like I've got that personal development high of this real moment where recognizing that my sense of self was so important and needed to be prioritized. And then I think I get a career high every day just by being able to be in that work with my team currently. And I think career low, conversely, well, actually, I think it was, it was my second mat leave in the lead up to my second mat leave. I'd stayed on too long at a company in a job that I knew, I knew the job too well. There was nowhere else to go. And I was making a lot of compromises being a pregnant woman in the workplace, especially being self-conscious from having had a bit of a bumpy start back after my first mat leave, I was holding on to a lot of trauma from that. And I was terrified that I was going to bring that into my second mat leave. And so it was things like apologizing for being pregnant. I then gave birth to a daughter and I looked at her and I just couldn't believe I'd ever apologized for her and for making her. And her being a daughter also made me realize that I'd been holding myself small as a mom as a woman and that I could be a great mother and be a great leader. And those weren't mutually exclusive ideas. So it has turned into a high, but there were some dark moments leading up to it where I thought this baby's going to get in the way. It's going to hold me back. My career's become mediocre. But what was beautiful was that it was only by having her that I realized I had been so out of integrity with one of my core values around equality. And I now wake up every day thinking, what work can I do today to make the world a more equitable place, in particular for women? So I think I've turned that low into a bit of a high, but there's still work to do. You definitely have. There definitely is still work to do, but I'm sat here just trying to hold back the tears <laughs> because, you know, I think we get so caught up in everyone else's expectation of us that we lose our sense of self sometimes, don't we? And around motherhood particularly and yeah oosh to all of that Bronwyn oosh to all of that <laughs> well thank you so much for sharing so openly and honestly and vulnerably on today's podcast the final question is coming here it comes what one piece of advice would you give to marketers of tomorrow take the time to figure out who you are and what motivates you and what your core values are and then go forth and achieve them. 
live into your boldest dreams. Love that. And thank you again for your time on today's podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for tuning into the Whole Marketer podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, please do like, follow and share. The Whole Marketer is here to support and empower you and your teams with the latest technical skills, soft and leadership skills and behaviours and personal understanding for a successful, fulfilling marketing career and life as a whole. For support, resources and more information on how we can help you to become a Whole Marketer and build Whole Marketing teams, go to www.thewholemarketer.com.